I want to begin this morning by doing something a bit unique. I want to play you a clip of one of my favorite U2 songs. And trust me, it ties in, okay? I'm not just playing it to play it. long-term. One thing that I know about each and every one of us in here is each and every one of us are on that path, aren't we? We are all on this path to find whatever it is that's going to do it for us, that's going to bring us lasting satisfaction. This morning, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles turned there, we're continuing our study through Ecclesiastes entitled Lessons Learned Under the Sun. And we're at the halfway point of the book, in chapter 6, so it's fitting what Solomon does for us today. What he does is, he is going to summarize some of what he's already talked about in this book so far. And, and this should not come as a surprise to you, should it? Because if you've been here for more than a few sermons, you know that Solomon in this book is extremely repetitive, isn't he? I mean, he uses words like vanity and phrases like striving after wind and under the sun more than a few times, doesn't he? And not only that, he also mentions multiple times in this book that temporal and fleeting things like our work, the fruits from our labor, pleasure, success, all of these things that we look to in this life to make us happy, they are all vanity because they do not bring satisfaction that lasts. So it shouldn't surprise us that Solomon here in chapter 6 
revisits a few of these things that he, that he has already mentioned. Now, why does he do this? Is it because Solomon is writing later on in life and he's just old and senile and he can't remember what he's written from one chapter to the next? Now, remember, we're talking about the wisest man who has ever lived other than the Lord Jesus. So why is he doing this? I believe he's doing it for emphasis. You know, statistics say that for us to, for, for us to really get something, we have to hear it more than a few times. And God, knowing this, through his word, he often repeats certain key truths that he wants us to get. And I've talked about before that, that a good principle for each and every one of us in Bible study is this. When the scriptures say something more than a few times, we need to mark it, we need to commit it to memory, and we need to seek to apply it to our lives. And though many of us, having heard Solomon's point several times already, though we understand his point in this book that life under the sun without God is meaningless, though we understand this, the issue for many of us is this. We still get up day after day and continue to pursue happiness and lasting satisfaction under the sun. Many of us here this morning are guilty of doing just this. In light of hearing Solomon's teachings about how all of life under the sun is hevel, that, that Hebrew word that means fleeting, futile, meaningless, useless, and aimless, you continue to get up day after day and pursue things in this life in hopes that it'll bring you happiness that lasts. So Solomon is going to remind us this morning, just in case we didn't get it, that you can climb the highest mountain, you can run through the fields, you can run, you can crawl, you can scale the city walls, but you're not going to find what you're looking for under the sun. This morning, Solomon is going to help us make sense of the unfulfilled life. Here's the first principle. Our riches under the sun are not always rewarding. Like we said already, when people are asked, what's it going to take for you to be truly happy? Many of our minds become set on a dollar amount, don't we? And we do. If I were to ask you, what amount of money would it take for you to be happy? You may say on the outside, having gone through this study, oh, you know, there's nothing. But in your mind, you're thinking, ah, six or seven figures would do it. Look at what Solomon says in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. Twice in the previous chapter we heard this phrase, grievous evil, and here we have it again. And that word evil in the Hebrew doesn't mean something that's morally wrong. It means something that is tragic. Solomon says there is something tragic that is taking place in life. 
A man who has all the gifts he could ever want that the world could offer, and yet he's not happy. Before going into full-time ministry, I worked at a place called Golden Living. It was a corporate office for uh, various nursing facilities in and throughout the country. And one year they had a Christmas party. And they just decked this lobby out for Christmas. I mean, Christmas just threw up in this lobby. And they had Santa, and they had his setup, and they had this huge tree, and they had all these beautifully wrapped gifts under the tree. And as the kids came in, you could just see their face just light up. I mean, they would look to Santa first, and then they would become fixated on what was under that tree. And many of them even ran up to check out what the gifts were for themselves. And as they grabbed the gifts, their smiles and their excitement soon faded. You know why? They were just props. That's right. They were empty. They were nothing more than beautifully wrapped, empty boxes. Solomon's point is just that. Though one might get everything they think they want when they get it, they find out it doesn't bring lasting satisfaction. It's nothing more than beautifully wrapped, empty boxes. They are not satisfied. Remember I said last week when talking about making sense of money, the enjoyment to be had in money, Solomon tells us, is always, always, always outweighed by the desire for more of it. In other words, the more we have, the more we want. We get everything we think we want and we find out it's not what we want at all. It's nothing more than beautifully wrapped, empty boxes. Now, I want you to notice something in verse 2. Notice again that wealth in and of itself is not a bad thing. We talked about this a little bit last week. See, God is not concerned with your socioeconomic status. In fact, Solomon makes mention here that God grants wealth. He's not concerned with your, your, your socioeconomic status. He's concerned with your spiritual status. With God, it's not a rich, poor thing. It's a righteous, unrighteous thing with God. One man could have a ton of wealth. And if that wealth, if those riches are his servant and not his master, and he uses that money to bring glory to God, that man can be extremely happy in this life. On the other hand, you could have a man who has everything the other man has, and if those riches are his master and not his servant, and he hoards back his wealth and just keeps it to himself and does not use it to bring glory and honor in God, even though he thinks that holding that money back will bring happiness and satisfaction, you know what happens? You know what they experience instead? Misery and frustration. And we used the example of John D. Rockefeller last week, who was miserable the first 53 years of his life because he just hoarded his money and kept it back. Now, many of you may have this question this morning who struggle with this. We all struggle with this to a certain extent. You're probably asking yourself, well, how can I be that first man? How can I be the one who makes money his servant and not his master and use it to glorify God? How can I be him? I want to be him. Well, Solomon tells us how in verse 2. By the grace of God. Look at what he says again in verse 2. 
A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. Listen to this. It is God who gives wealth, and it is also God who gives us the power and the strength and the grace to make money our servant and not our master and use it in a way that glorifies him. Let me challenge you here this morning. If this is a struggle of yours, and you want to be like that first man or woman, you need to get before God. You need to prayerfully express your need of him to grant you with the strength and the power and the grace needed to make money your servant and not your master so that you can use your wealth to glorify God. And get this, then and only then are you going to be able to experience lasting satisfaction in this life. So, our riches under the sun, they're not always rewarding. Number two, our prosperity under the sun is not always pleasing. Verses three through six. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things and he has no burial... I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Not my word, Solomon's. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness. And in darkness, its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years, twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to one place. Any Trekkies in here? Fans of Star Trek? All right, kind of, yeah, yeah. Remember Spock's famous line? Y'all live long and prosper, right? How cool am I? Live long and prosper. That's right. That was his famous line. And, and, and many of us, that's what we think is going to make us happy. If I can just have a long, prosperous life, that's it. I will be good. And that's our goal. Many of our goals in this life is just to live a long and prosperous life. Solomon explains in this passage that a long and prosperous life in and of itself does not lead to lasting happiness. Now, for us to understand this verse, we have to take our shoes off, so to speak, and put on some Hebrew sandals and step into ancient Jewish culture because Solomon is writing... 3,000 years ago. So he's very much here speaking the language of the Hebrew people. Okay? First, he talks about a man fathering a hundred children. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, I could have told you that's not going to lead to happiness. You know? No brainer. I mean, I have two or three kids. I'm going through it. But times were different then. The Israelites, they wanted to have as many children as possible. And the reason why, because in their day, children weren't a financial burden. They were their livelihood. The more children you had, the more blessed you were, and the, more better, and the better off your life was going to be in the future. Because kids in their day, they grew up to take care of their family. So they were celebrated. 
So to say a man had a hundred kids was to say a man was extremely prosperous. You got that? And, and in fact, in nowhere in Scripture do we have someone mentioned as having a hundred kids. So Solomon here, he is just making an intentional exaggeration here to stress the fact that this man is a prosperous man. Solomon also says, though this man live many years. Once again, in the Old Testament, long life was esteemed. Now for many of you, you're probably thinking, well, yeah, it is. And it is for us as well, right? We value long life, but not in the way they did in, in their culture, in Solomon's culture, in Solomon's time. You see, we want long life, but we want to continue to look young and feel young as we grow older, right? Not the case in Solomon's day. In Solomon's day, gray hair was a crowning achievement. So many of you, you'd be proud of your gray hair back in Solomon's day. It was a crowning achievement, all right? In, 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 in the Jewish culture, youth was not praised like it is today. In our culture, youth is king. In their day, they esteemed those who were ancient. It was an indication of wisdom. The Israelites, they, they, they esteemed wisdom. And Solomon goes on to say, if this man should live 2,000 years, once again, no one is said in Scripture even to make it to a thousand years, right? We have Methuselah, who is the oldest man recorded in Scripture, and he was around pre-flood time, lived to 969 years of age. So no one even made it to the thousand-year mark. But what Solomon is doing here is he is exaggerating. He is making the point here once again that this person has reached the highest level of prosperity, okay? He also mentions the importance of having a good burial. Once again, Jewish culture, a good funeral was the sign of a good life. Okay? The way you died and, and the, the, what your funeral was like was an indication of uh, the life you lived. So in that day, a prosperous man was a man who lived a long life, had many children, and a good funeral. If you had that in, in Jewish times, people would say, you had it all. And Solomon says all of that to make this point right here. Even if you have the greatest of blessings, even if you reach the highest level, the apex of prosperity, if you have 100 kids and live 2,000 years without God in your life, without being satisfied in Him, your life would be ultimately meaningless and miserable. That's Solomon's point. It is. Solomon's point in this passage is, you could have all of this, every single bit of it, and it's absolute vanity apart from enjoying God and being satisfied in Him. Look at verse 3. Solomon says in this phrase, his soul is not satisfied. There is no satisfaction in prosperity under the sun apart from God. Now let me bring this more into a modern context for us, okay? Put your shoes back on. We've already talked about how we value long life, right? 
just in a different way than they did. And, and in today's culture, I mean, we have products that we purchase to, that are supposed to prolong our life, and we have other products, products we purchase that help us look young while we're growing older. And yet, having a long life, staying fit and healthy and youthful, according to Solomon, in this text, it does not satisfy apart from God. Therefore, we don't need to be so consumed with how many days we have left or with looking 20 years younger than we did, than, than we do right now. Instead, Solomon says we need to be consumed with knowing God and living for Him and growing in Him. We need to be setting our hearts toward being satisfied in Him. Now let's talk about our children for a minute. For many of us, children are a source of blessing, right? And uh, one way we err here as well is that in the same way we worship our bodies, our children can be a source of worship. You ever thought about that? Can be. We think, if I can just have this big family that I never had with a bunch of kids, then I'll be happy. If I can just give my kids those things that I never had, if, if my kids could just succeed in ways that I did not, then I would be truly happy. And you know what Solomon says? No, you won't. Not without God, you won't. You want to do right by your kids? The answer is not a PS3. For those of y'all in here who don't know what I'm talking about, I think I'm speaking in codes. That's a PlayStation 3. You want to do right by your kids? It's not going to come in a, a shelf full of trophies or frequent trips to Disney World, even though those things in and of themselves, they're not bad things. But you want to do right by your kids. Make your life about loving God and serving Him and living for Him. Show them by your words and by your example that God is the source and the center of your life. That's how you do right by your kids. Solomon wants us to understand that even if we add years to our life and life to our years, if the source of life is not the center of our life, it's vanity. Solomon continues in this passage by giving us another hyperbole. In this passage, he compares a prosperous man with a lot of years under his belt to a and lots of kids in his family to a stillborn child. Now, this text probably grabbed you when you read it, right? That's why when I was reading, I said, Solomon's words, not mine. <laughs> but it probably grabbed you. You're, you're, you're probably thinking to yourself, man, that's harsh, giving me this, this visual of a lifeless, of the lifeless existence of a stillborn child. Well, that's Solomon's intent. He's using hyperbole here. He's speaking, he's giving an intentional exaggeration to grab you, to stop you in your tracks, to get you to see the point that he is making here. He wants you to understand here that a miscarriage, though it's awful, and there may be some of you in here who've experienced that, and it's awful, and many of you know that Leslie and I experienced that uh, several weeks ago, and it was a tough time. And if you've been through that, know that, that I'm sorry that you had to endure that, but I'm, 
I'm, I'm sticking to the text here of what Solomon is saying. And here's his point. Though a miscarriage is a, not a good thing, it's an awful thing. He is saying that what is worse, what is far worse, is for a man or woman who has been given a long life and who has been blessed beyond measure to take those things and to squander them. To Solomon, that's awful. That is intolerable. That is a grievous evil to waste your life by seeking after and investing in temporary things that do not satisfy. He's saying here a man with with a, a lot of years to his life and life to his years, if he neglects to make God the center and the source of his life, it would have been better off had he died in the womb, never seeing the light of day. I know that's harsh, right? But that is Solomon's point in this text. So, our prosperity under the sun is not always pleasing. Number three, our work under the sun is not always worthwhile. Look at verse 7 through 9. All the toil of a man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Here in this verse, once again, we see Solomon is returning to this topic of work. Like I said earlier, he's giving us a review here in chapter 6. So, so once again, he's, he's being repetitive in these topics for the purpose of emphasis. And here he wants us to make sure that we understand the fact that work and the fruits from our labor, they don't bring satisfaction long term. And let's be honest, we need to hear this, don't we? Don't we need to hear this? I mean, work is a big part of who we are. So Solomon is making this point once again. He says, all the toil of man is for his mouth. What he means here is this. All of us, no matter where we work, we all work for this one thing, to put bread on the table, right? Whether you work at Burger King or whether you're a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, we are all working to put bread on the table and to provide for our families. Solomon states here that this is an endless task, isn't it? Because our appetite is never satisfied. How many of y'all love to eat? All of us, right? Yeah. How many of y'all get excited if you know you're going to a particular place to go eat? Or, or you know your wife or your husband is going to prepare a certain meal. I mean, sometimes I will skip lunch just to make sure I'm extremely hungry. And I'll eat, and I will be fat and happy at the end of that meal. But you know what? I wake up the next day. That's right. I'm looking for more food. I'm hungry. It does not satisfy, and that's Solomon's point. We work so hard to put bread on the table, but you know what? There's always more bread to be put on the table. We work so hard to fill our, our stomachs and to satisfy our thirst, but it's never, never enough. Some of y'all have heard us talk away about the way our youngest, Edie, eats. I mean, her and her sister Ava could not be more different in this way. I mean, with Ava, we have to struggle to get her to eat anything. And with Edie, we have to struggle to get her to stop eating everything. I mean, she can eat, I'm telling you. And uh, 
it's, it's unbelievable what this child can eat. And one day I just put her to the test. I'm like, all right, I'm going to see how much you can take on. So I start feeding her. And I'm telling you, the kid held her own. You wouldn't believe it. And then when we take her down, she just starts crying. She wants more food. That girl can eat. I work so hard just to put food on her table. And it doesn't satisfy. Another thing that's important for us to realize about this verse is this, that the word translated appetite here is translated soul. Okay, It's the same word used that's translated soul in verses 2 and 3. So Solomon is talking, he, he's talking about more than just the food we eat. He's, he's using food as an illustration, which is why it's translated appetite. But literally what this means is his soul is not satisfied. His point is this. Whatever we work for, food, car, Nice home, nice yard, a club affiliation, whatever it is, it does not bring satisfaction long term. Look at verses 8 and 9. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This is also vanity and a striving after wind. Solomon's point here is this. It's better to be content than to always be wanting what you don't have. And we're the exact opposite, right? We're hardly ever content and we always want what we don't have. Parents out here, you know that to be true with your kids, right? We know that to be true with our kids. Our kids will see something that they want and they will want it and want it until they have it. And then their focus goes towards something else that they want. And we're the same way. Solomon's point here is that contentment is the key ingredient to happiness. Here's my question for you today. Are you satisfied with your place in life, physically and financially, or do you always want more and more? Are you working yourself to death just to acquire more things in hopes that you'll reach that point where you find lasting joy and satisfaction? Solomon says our souls cannot be satisfied with food and possessions. Though these things can be enjoyed, they do not satisfy long term. Remember the Mark Driscoll quote I shared with you in the earlier series? Stuff is for our enjoyment. God is for our satisfaction. Though stuff can be enjoyed, it is God alone who can bring us lasting satisfaction. So our work is not always worthwhile. Fourth and finally... Our knowledge gained under the sun is nothing new. Verse 10 through 12. Whatever has come to be has already been named. And it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For he knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? There are people from each generation who rise up and seek to find answers to life's tough questions. We're going to figure it out. What our purpose is in this life and what happens to a person when they die. And you know what they find out? You know what they end up with? the same conclusions about life 
that everybody else has already had. Because ultimately under the sun, nothing changes. Nothing changes from one generation to the next. Our knowledge that we gain under the sun is nothing new. The same observations, the same conclusions have been made for people throughout, the, throughout all generations. Look at what Solomon says in verse 12. For who knows what is good for a man while he lives the few days of his vain life which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Now Solomon is writing 3,000 years ago. And he's asking the same questions that people are still asking today. What's the purpose in life? And what happens to a person when they die? And you know what? Conclusions people draw who really examine this, the same as Solomon gave when he's giving us a horizontal under the sun perspective. The fact that no one really knows what happens when you die and that life seems to be meaningless. You know what Solomon would say to those people? That's right. Under the sun, with God removed, you're exactly right. But no, Solomon doesn't believe this, right? What he's doing is, he is just considering these questions, like I said earlier, using his senses and his three-pound brain. What Solomon is saying here is, with just the facts before us, under the sun... It's anybody's guess. It is. We can't prove a thing. If we could, we would not still be asking the same questions thousands of years later. Notice nobody's asking the question of whether or not the earth is flat or round, right? Nobody's asking those questions today because there have been adequate answers provided. But people are still asking the question, what's the purpose of life? What's this life all about? What awaits a person after they die? And I'm telling you, without special revelation, without God breaking into human history, without the prophets and the apostles being carried on by the Spirit, without Christ coming in the flesh to show us the Father, how can we know the answers to these things? We're left, at best, with nothing more than a guess. Philosophy is a guess. Atheism is a guess. Can they prove their view and meaning to life of what happens to a person when they die? No. There's an element of faith even for them. Trying to answer questions to life and what awaits a believer after death apart from God who knows all things. Listen, we are left to nothing more than a guess. Once again, here's Solomon's point in this book. What he wants to accomplish is he wants you and me to feel the weight of of the hopelessness and the purposelessness of life under the sun. That's what he wants. He wants you and me to come to the end of ourselves and say, if this is all there is, we're in bad shape. He wants us to come to that. And you know what? We've talked about this as well. That's what God wants. That's what God wants as well. He does. He wants you and me to become so disillusioned and discouraged by the hopelessness and the purposelessness of life under the sun so that we would in turn be drawn to Him. That's what God wants. A very important realization that we have to come to in Ecclesiastes is that 
is this, that we don't have the answers to life's tough questions. Therefore, we need to seek out the God who does. If you're here this morning and you're trusting in some sort of man-made explanation for the purpose of this life, my prayer for you this morning is that you would stop playing the guessing game when it comes to the things of God and that you would seek out the one who knows. The way to answer the questions of life, the difficult questions of life, of why we're here and what awaits us after this life is over is to seek out the God who knows. You know what happens when we do? We get the answers we're looking for and we get to enjoy this life under the sun. Let me end by saying this. I'm going to end with an illustration here. The other day, I was looking for my keys, which I'm doing a lot. And uh, I searched all over the house. And I could not find my keys. And it didn't, just didn't make sense to me because I had driven home the night before. And I was even checking. You ever do this where you're checking in the same place twice? You're like, I know it's not here, but I've looked everywhere. And I was just looking everywhere, and I could not find my keys. And a couple of hours later, I finally found them. You know where? In the car. They were in the car. I finally gave up my, my search of my keys in the house because I knew they weren't there. And I looked out in the car. Now, what if I would have said, I know they're in the house, and I'm going to continue to look in this house until I find them. Well, several years later, I would still be looking in the same place, asking the same questions with no answers, growing more and more frustrated by the moment. You know what? Same is true for those seeking to find satisfaction and the answers to life's tough questions under the sun. People for generations have been looking for the same things in the same place and they come up empty. Looking for satisfaction, looking for happiness, looking for answers under the sun without God. And they're growing more frustrated by the moment and they're coming up empty because they're looking in the wrong place. Maybe you're here this morning and your soul is restless because you want to be happy in this life and you want to have answers to life's tough questions, but so far you've come up empty. Let me remind you of the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Listen to what Christ tells us. Come to me, all who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And get this, and you will find rest for your souls. Now what Jesus, Jesus says is contrary to what Solomon says, isn't it? Solomon mentioned several times in this text, those seeking lasting happiness and satisfaction under the sun, they are restless. Their souls are restless and they are not satisfied. Jesus says, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. If you're restless this morning because you have searched for 
fulfillment and the answers to life's tough questions in this life and in this life only, I invite you this morning to place your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus. Because get this, only through him can you come to know the God who has all the answers and who is able to grant you satisfaction for your restless soul. Let's pray. Father, we praise you, God, for your word. Father, we thank you for how your word so clearly speaks to us today. So powerful. Father, we come before you admitting that we have worn ourselves out under the sun, pursuing satisfaction that only you can give in created things that are temporal and that are wasting away. Father, may we be reminded this morning of your word, of what it says in your word, that the earth, along with its desires, are passing away. And may we look to you. May we cling to you. May we make you the source and the center of our lives. May we seek to be satisfied only in you. If there's anyone here this morning who is pursuing this under the sun, happiness and and satisfaction. Lord, I pray that you do a great work in their heart and life this morning and that they would abandon that pursuit and cling to you and turn to you and make the Lord Jesus Lord of their life. We'll give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.